0: Hey, my name is Pastor Michael and I have the privilege to be the pastor here at Richfork Baptist Church, and I want to personally invite you to our homegrown conference that we are hosting March 18th and 19th here at Richfork. It is a conference that simply said is this: We want to help you raise your children at home and release them into the world. But parenting is difficult. I have four children, uh, age range from 14 to 24 years old, and we're still trying to figure parts of that out. But parenting, you are facing so many difficulties, whether you're a parent of a blended family, a single parent family, grandparents, raising grandchildren, whatever the case is, there are many difficulties, adversaries, that are coming at you to try to pull you away from raising children of faith. In the book of Nehemiah chapter 6 verse three, Nehemiah is facing pressure from adversaries from an enemy. And he said, I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Nehemiah simply says, I'm not going to stop work. Instead, I'll give them a piece of a weaponry with one arm and a tool with the other. We are going to keep doing what God has called us to do. Parents, we want to take a few hours of your time on Friday evening the 18th and Saturday morning through early afternoon on the 19th for $15 a person that includes three meals and childcare. So there's really no reason not to be here. But the greatest reason to be here is because we want to help raise your children at home and help you release them to the world for the glory of God. So we look forward to you being a part of that gathering with us next weekend. Now, let me pray for us as we continue. God, thank you so much for the opportunity for us to walk into your word again today. Um, As you know, people don't know this that are watching this. Uh, We've had all kinds of troubles with technology today. And so I'm just praying for the next few moments that you would use your word to speak into our lives, refine my walk with you and the faith of those that are watching to grow closer in their relationship with Jesus. I'm just asking you to overcome the the adversary and technology and all those problems and use these few moments for your glory to help us grow closer to Jesus. So we thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do through your word that you've given to the apostle Paul, that he has given to us in Jesus' name. Amen. As we have been walking through the last five weeks together uh, last Sunday, we journeyed into one of the most complete pictures of Jesus that Scripture gives us in such a short, compact set of verses. Philippians chapter two, verse one to eleven. Paul, the author of Philippians, is writing this letter as a response to the encouragement to the encouragement, to the response to the support that he's received from the gathering of believers at Philippi, and now he's writing to them from prison. He's shackled. He has Timothy with him, and he includes power-packed statements almost at every turn. He starts in chapter 1, verse 4, and he says, We are partners in the gospel. Paul is not above the church of Philippi, but they're co-laborers working together to share the grace of Jesus Christ. In verse 6 of chapter 1, Paul says, God is not finished with us. It's not a threat. It's a promise. It's a hope. Maybe you needed even to hear that simple phrase today, God is not finished with you yet. Paul goes on to say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This causes us to examine, what do we value? What do we hold on to? But it also makes us realize that everything has an expiration date. Years ago, this is a A true story. Years ago, I was completing my role at a graveside service at a local funeral at a local cemetery. And as I was driving out, there to my amazement, parked inside the cemetery, close to a funeral location, there was a U-Haul. Every time I think of that picture, I think of verses such as these, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain or verses like we're given in the book of James, that life is but a vapor. I think about that moment, the irony of that U-Haul there, at the end of this life, but the reality is all of our possessions, they have an expiration date. Everything except our relationship with Jesus Christ. When we focus on that, it begins to reprioritize what is truly important, what is lasting. And so, when we looked at that last week, it reminded us to focus on unity and humility. We need to be abundant in both. And in case we've forgotten, Paul says, what does humility look like? Paul reminded us in the Philippians that the greatest example of humility is not any of us. It's Jesus Christ. Humility, we said last Sunday, is displayed in Jesus Christ coming down to meet the needs of mankind. And the greatest of those needs is our sinfulness. So we walk down the ladder of humility modeled by Jesus, given to us by Paul, and then we, we read and we listen and we responded as Paul began to lead us back up the ladder to the holiness, the authority, and the power of Jesus Christ. He says this in verse 8. 11, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed him above the name, him, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. These truths from Paul in chapter 2, 1 through 11 are foundational to to my understanding of the unmatched gift of God that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. Do not be confused. The gift of salvation is from God. It is a gift that is formed out of humility, submission, obedience to the point of death, but raised to conquer death and allow us to have the gift of eternity. And that defines our worship. That gives meaning to our obedience. And this, Paul's going to show us today, is not our own doing. Now, quick reminder, important. This book, Philippians, is written to followers of Jesus. The vast majority of the lessons taught in these four chapters are for believers. And those who are not would be able to give little attention to what these are. So keep that in mind. So as we walk through that picture of unity and humility, let's see what Christ has in store for us through his word today. But if Christ is our example of humility, it can leave us if we're honest, if we look at the example of chapter 2, verse 1-11, through it may leave us feeling incapable. We'll never be perfect. We we can't do that. Paul has prepared a response for us to that feeling of being insufficient. He says in verse 12, therefore, my beloved. Therefore, we've covered this before, maybe you have, and an English class. When you read the word therefore, you've got to ask, what is therefore? Therefore. When you read the word therefore here, it is bringing along with it the truth from the message that we just read in verses 1 through 11. The New American Standard says, so then, because of what you've just learned about the humility of Jesus, or through this example Paul is not leaving that picture of Jesus over here and starting verse 12. He's layering verse 1 through 11 on top of these verses. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, I want to walk through verse 12, but make sure we see that Paul is not telling us, he's not telling us to base our spiritual growth on our performance. He's not telling us to base our spiritual growth on how hard we work at it. But verse 13 is the secret ingredient, but it's not a secret. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God works in us, before He works through us. It is not your striving. It is not your personal success that makes you more spiritual. It is your saving faith given by God that places us in a position for His Word, for the Holy Spirit, as well as, whole, as, well as fellow believers to pour into us. But that's about verse 13. Let me get back to verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This word defines and depicts a very large word that summarizes this. It's called sanctification. Sanctification is a process of heart and life and everyday active transformation. Simply put, being sanctified is being changed every day. You see, when we submit ourselves, our lives to Christ, we are immediately transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ, His death, His resurrection. That is called justification. But when Paul declares God is not finished with us in verse 6, and here in verse 12, he says, work out your own salvation. Please hear me. Paul does not say, work out your own salvation. He says, work out your salvation. He does not say, work for your salvation. We cannot work our way into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus did the work to save us. He desires to continue to work out to grow our faith in Jesus. It is an everyday, it is an active transformation. Allow me to try to convey this truth this way. When I was a kid, we lived in a subdivision of Charlotte called Paul Tuckett. We joined the swim club, the Paul Tuckett swim club. Promise you, it was nothing fancy, but they had everything that a teenager needed for the summer. A pool, nachos, candy, and a Galaga machine. But when we joined the swim club, I didn't know how to swim. You know what? Simply by joining the swim club did not immediately make me a swimmer. I had to take lessons. I had to jump in, swim. I swam one year for the swim team. I was awful, but I knew how to swim. Now I'm not good enough swimmer to swim across a lake because I, I have not continued to shape those skills and to grow those muscles. But I became a part of this group when we joined, but I had to grow in my ability to swim. When I trusted in Jesus Christ at age eight, I experienced in an instant God's saving grace. That is justification, immediate and eternal. But since that day, God has been shaping me, sanctifying, ongoing transformation, and he will continue to do that until the day that I die. It is then that I will be made whole. And that word is glorification. Three giant words with important meanings. Paul is encouraging his dear friends that he loves. Keep growing. Continue pursuing a closer walk with Jesus. Do so with fear and trembling, awe and reverence. But do it through our relationship with God by his power. Paul David Tripp says, Sanctification is God's grace working through everyday means to do what I would be unable to do for myself that's transformed me from what I now am into his likeness. Why is this so important? Why am I spending so much time here? Because the calling to work out, or as my wife so wisely stated, this verse teaches us to never be content. We must not become satisfied with knowing Jesus, but pursuing Jesus as he takes residence in our hearts, continues to rearrange our lives to reflect the character of Jesus Christ. It is an ongoing work. But again, hear me state this. This is not performance-based Christianity where you do your best, you look your best, and you sound like the best Christian, and then you've succeeded. No, that's not what Paul's teaching. He is also not works-based Christianity, which makes the effort and the work the way to the saving faith. The key statement is made in verse 13. For it is, by, it is God who works in you both to will and to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is God's work in you. This is a verse of promise. It's a verse of power. Oftentimes this verse is used to say, well, if God's working, then I don't have to do anything else. But other scripture teaches us a complete picture. 2 Timothy 4.7 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He's still pursuing. Ephesians 6, 10-18 outlines how am I to be prepared for the battle? But make no mistake, it is teaching me to prepare for battle but it is through the power of God working in me and through me and then God receives the glory and honor. This is a powerful movement in our lives. Detailed in verse 12 and 13. And then Paul is going to practically apply it in verses 14 through 18. He's going to move from teaching these deep spiritual truths that we've got to stand on and all that we've learned about humility and sanctification, and he's going to step into one of the most tolerated sinful actions, grumbling and complaining. Verse 14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Surely Paul meant do most things without grumbling or disputing, right? Do I need to even define grumbling and murmuring or complaining or disputing all those synonyms? I read this in preparation that a man decided wants to join a monastery, a place where people commit their lives to extreme actions of, of solitude and faith. One of the supposed rules in the story was that you were only allowed to speak two words at the end of every 10 years. So at the end of the first 10 years, the man with a group of monks around said, bad food. 10 more years later, he said, hard bed. At the end of his 30th anniversary, he stated, I quit. And the person in response in charge says, well, you might as well, all you did was complain anyway." When I read verses 1 through 13 regarding humility, the power of God working in me, I have to admit I'm initially intrigued. Why did Paul choose this fleshly struggle to address to his friends in Philippi? But then it hit me. Paul addresses an issue, grumbling and debating, that is a battle for every single person at some point in their life. I read a few one-liners about people who are complainers or grumblers. The loudest boos come from those in the free seats. If you feel dog-tired at the end of the night, it's because you growled or complained all day. I could go on, but you understand. We are, by sinful nature, complainers. I can pray and thank God for food in one moment, and then find 10 things wrong with that meal immediately. When I'm in Guinea-Bissau, West Africa, and you go four or five days with no shower, then you get to the hotel, and you are thankful for any shower. Most of the time, they're cold showers. But then I'll come home, and within a week, I can complain to my family that they did not leave me enough hot water for my shower. You see the difference? So why, Paul, really grumbling and disputing? Remember, he is preaching towards the church and he's maintaining something. Your influence to the world around you is important. Can anything spoil our reputation quicker as a body of Christ within the church and outside the church than grumbling and complaining? Private mumbling under one's breath debating, arguing, contentious? Can anything, as parents, as a family, can anything spoil your wonderful evening at home quicker than one of us murmuring or arguing? Students, what about you? Can can anything cause more difficulties than if you were to murmur a response to your parents or to a teacher? I wouldn't advise it, but if you try murmuring at the table, see where it takes you. What about in church? Nothing can pull us away from unity and humility quicker than the continual contentious person who finds only the bad in every service, every online sermon, every song, every small group gathering. Now, I'm not advocating that we as church members and followers of Jesus cannot have difficult discussions with each other, but we must do so in a godly, humble fashion. Because grumbling, it undermines unity and it encourages isolation. Debating creates a division of purpose, of heart, and of mind. Grumbling and debating usually place my desires and agenda above everyone else's grumbling and debating undermine church listen grumbling and debating undermine our impact and influence upon fellow believers and unbelievers see paul is taking all that we've learned about humility in christ considering ourselves more important than others working out and continuing to grow in the power of god and he's applying it to one of the most prolific, common denominators of division and strife within the church and in life, grumbling and debating. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. For the second time in this letter, he's calling us to be blameless. To be blameless is a moral integrity that is seen by others. But then he says, be innocent. It is an integrity that we have within ourselves. He says, be of integrity on the outside and the inside. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst. Listen to this, a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Shine as lights, verse 15, in the middle of darkness, to shine. A flashlight guiding ourselves and others can walk behind us if we shine. Or maybe we can shine like a lighthouse, signaling to those who are lost in despair, needing to find a way to safety. Maybe we need to shine like the sun or the moon lighting up the sky in the darkest of night. Or a star cutting holes in the darkness. Paul is writing to his friends at Philippi. If you want to impact your community of darkness, be light, shine bright. You want to hide the light, grumble and dispute. It's quite a simple, powerful formula. We can burn up our energy and influence by grumbling and or disputing or by burning as lights leading people out of the darkness. The command from Paul is clear. The movement and the power of God in our lives leads us to acknowledge and remove these stumbling blocks from our lives And we do so with what attitude? He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Again, in Paul's day, the heritage of the Jewish faith, but even of the idol-worshiping cults of the day, they attempted in all their different ways to make peace with God or their object of worship by making sacrifices on a host of occasions. Essentially, Paul is giving reminders. If I run, may I not run in vain? I want to go on purpose. If I labor, may I not labor in vain? I want to work on purpose. And if my body is poured out as a sacrifice, quite literally, if his blood must be used as a sacrifice, he is willing to do so joyfully. Three extreme yet powerful examples of Paul's commitment to his beloved never stopping pursuing preaching followers of Jesus. Not only to protect their faith, but to present it with joy. What's the opposite of grumbling and debating? Rejoicing. Likewise, he said, you also, should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul needs the ongoing encouragement from other believers. Rejoice with me. Don't you? Don't we need the support, the uplifting prayer of others? I know I do. And I'm quite sure the world does not need more complaining from me. Paul's words to the church of Philippi are words for us today words of faith, salvation, obedience growth, silencing of grumbling, leaning into joy. It is those characteristics that are needed in our church, in our community, and our families, and in our lives today. May we take heed and listen to these encouraging, powerful, convicting words of Paul. To rejoice, to shine, instead of grumble and debate. Let's pray together. God, use these words to guide us. When we finish in a moment, these few questions to help us to evaluate some things in our lives. May we see verses one through 11 building us and leading us and empowering us into this stepping into the middle of our lives Conversation from Paul about grumbling and disputing. No one that's listening could debate that grumbling and disputing diminishes our joy. It it makes our light burn dimmer. Our influence is impacted. And in many ways, we find ourselves isolated because no one wants to be around that attitude. So help us to see it, to evaluate it to be convicted through your Holy Spirit by it. These words are for believers to examine and to rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of questions for you to think about. Are we allowing the power of God to impact the most common struggles in our lives? That power of God found in verse 12 and 13. Are we allowing it to impact the most common struggle in our lives, grumbling and debating? And are we allowing the power of God to impart the most important attributes to shine bright in the darkness, forgiveness, grace, and joy? We'll see you again next week. Thank you for spending time in Philippians chapter 2 with us today.